Glad they got to the hospital. All right, let's go now um, to our series on the Ten Commandments. Where we did a uh, intro last week, and today I'm taking the first commandment. Chris, I'm going to hand it off to him. He's going to take number two and three over the next two weeks. And um, so let's go now. And in Exodus chapter 20 and verse three. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, But then in Romans chapter 1, he elaborates on how idolatry is very central to our fallen nature. So let me read that. Romans 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who um, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. The very word of God. Let me, I forgot one very important announcement and I wouldn't change gears like this unless it were happening today. But this afternoon from 3.30 to 5.30, uh, Chris and I will be teaching the Discover Seminar again. Um, and so if you've been considering joining or at least getting information of um, what this church is about, that's the, the seminar you want to be at. This afternoon from 3.30 to 5.30 at the powerhouse next door. Um, so before we elaborate on God's Word, let me pray for us. Father, we need you. We need you in a very clear and real way. Would you come by your Spirit and open our hearts to all the things that we are blind to? We are worshipers, for you have made us to worship. And yet, O God, we exchange your glory for created things. In fact, we want about anything to satisfy us, to fulfill us except for you, ultimately. And so we need you to come by your Spirit and show us these things that we might begin to dismantle them in our lives. Oh, Father, correct our thinking, work deep in our hearts, give us a huge love for Jesus. And would you do that through this time together and through the power of your Word. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This past Tuesday, our staff went to see the movie Selma. And um, I commend it to you for a number of reasons. Um, uh, First of which, I think, is the fact that it's just a very human story. Uh, You don't get the sense that there's a political agenda. You get the sense that, um, that those behind the film really want to bring you into the lives and, uh, of those that, that were lived during that time, um, especially Martin Luther King Jr. and his wife Coretta. And there is a moment in the film where Coretta has received uh, some tapes from the FBI. And these tapes were of uh, Dr. King in a hotel room with another woman. 
And the reason the FBI sent them to her was uh, to try to sabotage their relationship and, and put pressure on him to back off of um, marching in Selma and, and pressuring the president um, to enforce the Voting Rights Act that had already passed uh, but was not being enforced in cities like Selma, Alabama. Uh, local... Um, um, stipulations and local officials were keeping uh, black men and women from registering to vote, much less vote. And so you're in their living room, and Coretta plays the tape, and when she turns it off, you can cut the tension with a knife. As Dr. King sits there, and he wants to defend himself... And he wishes he could go back. And he wishes this did not exist. And he wishes he were not in this moment. And yet with tremendous dignity, tremendous patience and self-control, Coretta looks at him and says, Are you in love with any of the others? And there's silence. And then finally, and you can see the battle going on, He says no, and she walks out slowly. And what makes that moment so powerful, I think, is that Coretta didn't pick up something and throw it at him. Coretta didn't scream at him. She didn't say, I'm out of here. She confronted him and left him with the question, are you going to stop and are you going to be faithful? Because this is a marriage. I really feel as if that is the context that God gives the Ten Commandments. As we saw last week, relationship with God precedes obedience to God. Don't get those backwards. You're not going to get to God through the Ten Commandments. You have to get to God, and then your heart is going to want the Ten Commandments. Uh, You see, relationship in the Christian life precedes obedience. We see that in Exodus chapter 19, the chapter right before Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments are recorded. Listen to these verses. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. This is God talking to his people. And how I bore you on eagles' wings, and listen, and brought you to myself. You hear that? It's like a lover wooing the beloved. I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, because I brought you to myself, because we're in this covenant relationship, because you are mine and I am yours, now, therefore, isn't that beautiful? If you will indeed obey my voice. In other words, if you will reciprocate the love. Obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people. Relationship with God precedes obedience to God. We see that in Genesis chapter 15 when God comes to Abram and he gives him all of these promises. He takes him out on a starry night, a clear night. And during a time where Abraham and Sarah were having trouble having children and didn't have any children. And he said, look at all the stars in the sky. That's how many children you're going to have. 
And then we read, and Abraham believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. A relationship was forming. And out of that, obedience flowed. That's the pattern of the Scriptures. So you see, this is the context in which God is demanding that we examine our lives, identify our idolatry, and tear our idols down. Obedience is evidence of faith, not a replacement for faith. Obedience is evidence of love, not a replacement for love. If you want to obey God, then worship Him. He must become the central prime one in your heart and in your life. This is what Coretta was saying. Namely, if, you're, if we're going to have a marriage, then you've got to be faithful. If we're going to have intimacy, if we're going to have a relationship, if we're going to have something more than a facade, it demands faithfulness. And that's what God is calling us to this morning. So let's look at it. How can we be faithful to this first commandment of having no gods before God? Number one, we've got to admit, all of us, that we all have idols. We have to admit that we have idols. What I found in the church is, is an unwillingness to do that, and really in my own life, too. But I see that in the culture as well. Uh, if you look at one of the common, or excuse me, one of the, the central news stories right now, Bill Cosby. Uh, the story broke, someone accused him of, um, a woman accused him, and then several more women accused him of uh, drugging them and then sexually assaulting them. And as soon as the first story broke, I knew exactly what was going to happen. Late night TV talk show hosts would just roast Bill Cosby. Uh, famous people would come on. Every, all these opinions would be thrown around on TV, on, on morning news. Uh, editorials would be written. Just roasting Bill Cosby. You see, we love stories like that. The culture loves stories like that. And I think it's because as, as long as we have somebody to roast, we don't have to think about ourselves. As long as we have somebody to point at, then we don't have to point at ourselves. The problem is, that is understandable in the world, but it, it shouldn't be understandable in the church. Because that is not how God wants His church to operate. In fact, we should be the first ones willing to admit that we are sinners and precisely how we are sinners. That's why I love the organization of AA, Alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous. You can't open your mouth until you say, Hi, my name is Richard Reeves and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Confession precedes community. Isn't that beautiful? And God says that's how the church should be. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. And we see it right here in the first commandment. Why is the first commandment the first commandment? It's because idolatry is at the root of every sin. It's because all of us in this place are idol makers. John Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories. And the body says, who's John Calvin? All right. Well, let me put it to you in a more modern way. All of our hearts are operating systems. 
And all of our operating systems are infected with a virus. And do you know what the nature of a virus is? It's to infect not just that heart, but anything or any other system that comes in contact with it. And friends, that's you and that's me. If we could have little captions, maybe little holograms around all of our heads this morning, I want you to know this would be a very picture-filled place, a very image-filled place. Because every single one of us right now are existing in our idolatry of something and of many things. And that's what we must admit before we come to really understanding and really changing the reality of our sin. You shall have no gods before me. Notice he doesn't say, if you struggle with idolatry, then deal with that. You are to not have gods before me. Why? Because there are many gods out there. How many gods are there? Well, if we look at Romans chapter 1, we see that there are as many gods as there are created things. Romans 1, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. The NIV reads, they worshipped and served created things and not the Creator. So as many created things as there are, that's how many gods that there are. Isn't it funny that we, we get distracted by other people's idols? I mean, did you, did you know that uh, there are some people on this planet that idolize quilting? They get quilting illustrated, or whatever the magazine is. When I was in the seventh or sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, I collected beer cans. I idolized beer cans. I wanted the most rare, the oldest beer can. I, yeah, that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? And yet I would lie steep, uh, still and cheat, and I did steal. We broke into um, we broke into warehouses trying to find uh, old beer cans. It's crazy. It's little kids. I mean, our idolatry makes no sense unless there are idols. We can laugh at one another's idols, but unless they're mine, buddy, don't laugh. It is essential to understand the nature of your heart or you're never going to get better. Proverbs 16:18. pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, what does that mean? What that means is if you are defensive about your sin, and we all are, It's at that point that you are most dangerous. It's at that point at which you are blind to your sin. You see, we think we're in trouble when our sins are exposed to us. No, we're in trouble when we don't know what our sin is. When we don't know what our idols are, then we are in deeper trouble than when we know. So are you feeling conviction this morning? Is God bringing something to heart? Don't resist it. Let Him do His work. Let Him show you. I think we'll see why as we go on. So all of us have idols, but secondly, our hearts and actions expose our idols. Our hearts and our actions, the actions of our hearts, expose our idols. Several years ago, I was running, jogging down a public road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. 
and I saw this man in front of me walking his dog, and it was one of those little fluffy things, looks like like an, an Alaskan something, I don't know, one of those little you know wiggly tails on the back, and you know, I just kind of noticed the dog, and they were kind of close to me, I was on the side of the road, but I said, all right, dog, he's got him on a leash, everything looks good. I mean, as soon as I got right next to the owner, that dog latched onto my knee, and as I'm doing this, the dog is flying. I mean, he just, he came after me. And I'm bleeding, standing there, trying to process what just happened, and the owner looks at me as shocked as I am, pretty much, and he says, I am so sorry. He has never done that before. Do you... Do you know what happened? I'm running down the street, this nice, loving little dog who's never bitten anybody before because he's never had to, all of a sudden thinks that I'm going to do something to his own. I guess because I was running and, and they were right there. I don't know. But somehow I became a threat to what he loved most and he bit me. Have you ever been in a situation... Or ever seen something in your heart that looked uncharacteristic to you? I've said it before, that just wasn't me. Here's the reality. When sin comes out, it's pointing to something deep within. We don't know all of our idols right now. They have to be exposed. So is it uncharacteristic for you to cheat And you cheated and you wondered, where did that come from? That's exposing idolatry. Uh, Are you overworking? Are you having sex outside of marriage? Do you go to way too many movies? Do you read way too many books? I mean, what is it? And you're listening to this sermon and and your first instinct is, well, that's not me. I don't have idols. I'm going to stop. Because your heart is going to expose what's there. You don't necessarily know what's there right now. And so in those moments when you're angry, in those moments where, or there's periods of time in your life when you're acting uncharacteristically, God is trying to show you the depth of your sin. I started playing tennis, I guess more, uh, about a year ago with Rachel. And I've never seen myself as an angry person until I started playing tennis again about a year ago. And I want you to know, it got to the point where she told me, I'm not going to play tennis with you anymore. And you're laughing, and it sounds funny, uh, but it's not funny. It was ugly. It was deeply ugly. Because I would be, I would want to break my racket. Now, a lot of it had to do with the fact that she beats me every single time. Let's just get that out there, all right? I cannot beat her in tennis. Uh, let's just get that out there, and I'm okay with that now. I wasn't then. Um, but it was bad. And it was so bad because of how I would treat her, and we'll get to that in a minute, and how I would act. And it really got really embarrassing when we started to play other people. She would look at me like, what? Really? And so, as I began to deal with this in the gospel, um, 
I began to realize how foolish I looked. That was kind of the first step. And it's interesting, in Romans 1.22, Paul says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Our idolatry is foolish. So when you find yourself acting in a way that you think is uncharacteristic, you are simply exhibiting the foolishness of your heart. And you're not going to get to the, the reality of it until you stop and take the hit for that. Right before that, we read in Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Friends, our sin is not primarily a behavioral problem. It's a heart problem. Every sin that comes out is rooted in the heart. Jesus tells us this in Luke 6:45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That's why we in our marriages can never say, Oh, I'm sorry, honey, I didn't mean that. We do mean it. And what we have to realize is that, yes, we meant it. We meant it. And something's going on in our hearts. Something's going on deep that we better get to the bottom of. James puts it like this in James 4, 1 through 2. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James refers to passions that are at war within us. He says, you desire within, you don't get, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Dear friends, we go through so much of our lives without admitting the reality that sin lurks within our flesh. And so when we do that, the problem is always out there, it's never in here. And here's the pattern that I see and experience in my own life. <laughs> that when we are not willing to say, I am the man, that, that I am the problem, that my heart is the problem, that I have an idol factory, that the problem is me and not you, as much as I want to blame you, then here's what happens. When I'm unwilling to do that, then I begin to narrow my community of people around me. Oh, I'm never going to spend time with that person. I'm never going back to that church. I'm going to quit that job. Oh, we got to move, honey. Do you see it? We start limiting our community because why? Because of those people out there. I mean, we even have perceptions about where we need to live, what neighborhoods we need to live in, what neighborhoods are, are, we should go in and not go in. Something's deep in our hearts. Do you see that in your life? God says it's rooted in your heart. Well, so, where's the hope? Here's the hope. Idols can be dismantled. Idols can be dismantled. Let me, let me explain how. Um, if you think about a researcher at St. Jude who is, who is um, trying to find a cure for cancer or trying to treat cancer... Um, they can tell you how cancer works. Why? 
because they have studied cancer. You see, you can't find a cure to cancer until you understand cancer. So, dear friends, you have to be a student of your sin. You have to do self-analysis. You've got to put yourself, quit putting all those people around you under the microscope. It's not your job to figure them out. God has given you to figure out. And so you've got to put your heart under the microscope and say, God, show me the cancer. Help me to understand it. I want to get to the root of it. I'm sick of it. I hate it. It brings, it, 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 it puts a shadow on your glory and it's hurting those around me. I'm sick and I need help. Cry out to God. And say, help me understand this cancer. And you can, because in Romans 1.16, Paul says that we have the power to do so. Paul says the gospel is the power of God. The Greek word for power there is, is dunami, and it, it's where we get our word dynamite. So we have a dynamite, we have the power of God to be able to dismantle sin in our lives because God calls us to holiness. That's the purpose of the gospel. It is to save us so that we might be redeemed and have ongoing redemption. It's called sanctification. That we might be battling sin in our lives. And the gospel that saved us is the gospel that will sanctify us. And here's how. As long as our sin remains hidden in our hearts, as long as we're unwilling to look at it, it has room to grow and flourish and and blossom. But when the gospel comes in, it gives us freedom to say, now wait a minute, the gospel says you are more sinful than you allow yourself to believe. And yet, simultaneously, more love than you've ever dared to hope. So there is nothing that I'm going to find out about myself that God doesn't already know about and hasn't already dealt with through the cross of Jesus Christ. So no self-knowledge can destroy you. It can only humble you. Dear friends, that's what we resist. We resist His humbling. We resist being having our image of ourselves brought low. And we all do it. All the time. So the gospel is power to see our sin and to be honest about our sin. When I'm focusing on my anger only as the problem and I'm not willing to go deeper into my heart, I may make temporal changes, but I'm not dealing with the monster within. That's why just learning some some techniques can help me, but they're not going to heal me. And so we've got to take the gospel and we've got to say, okay, God, I know you love me. You see my sin. You know what's at the root already. Help me see it that I might be humbled. That's the biggest step. The beautiful thing about the cross and the power of the cross is this. It gives us an all-new identity. As I began looking at my anger... And I I said, God, please show me the root of this, because I'm blind to it. I just want to say, oh, I'm just an impatient man. I'm getting nowhere if I do that. Here's what I realized. This is what God began to show me. Richard, you're going to tennis, and I hate to tell you this, son, but you're going to tennis like you go to a lot of things, if not most things in your life, to justify you and make you feel good about yourself. 
you're using tennis in the way that you should use the cross and you should use my son. And the worst thing I can do is give you a victory over your wife in a tennis game. Because that's just going to make it worse. (laughs) Kind of kidding about that. One day, one day. But do you see it? If you go to tennis to make you feel good about you, and for tennis to become your identity, the only remotely good thing that can happen is you're good at tennis and you feel good about yourself. But you're feeling good about yourself based on very, very thin and and, and false foundations. And God said there's a better way. And I'm your better way. You can identify yourself, you can find identity, you can define who you are by my love, not your actions. It's not in how you preach, it's not whether you preach a great sermon or a poor and boring sermon. It's not about whether you're beautiful, it's not about whether you're strong, it's not about whether you're fast, it's not about whether you're slow, it's not about whether you're single, it's not about whether you have children or if you do have children, if you have great children, it... The only thing that you can really define yourself by is the very thing that God has given us, and that is Jesus Christ and His finished work. And then you have power to begin dismantling your sin. So you've got to go to the very root of your sin and see that the reality of it is you're looking for identity and worth. And then you also need to understand that your sin is not just impacting you, but it's impacting others. The greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But the second is like unto it, love your neighbors yourself. And so if you hold those commandments up where if I'm living righteously, those two things are happening. That's where the fruit of my life is going. Okay, I know I'm not glorifying God when I'm wanting to break my racket. And I've got this horrible look on my face. And I'm not even willing to congratulate my wife after a game that she beats me. That may have happened. Um, But... What am I doing to my wife? What am I doing to those around me? How is my sin affecting you? You see, when you bring it into those categories, what God can finally do is make your heart pliable where you're willing to change. You're willing to say, okay, God, if I need to quit tennis, I need to quit tennis. It's become too important to me. Or maybe you can, by your spirit, help me play tennis and find joy in it. And I don't have to win. That's how it works. So what is it in your life that God is trying to get to the root of and you're resisting? And I want you to know, and I'll leave you with this great encouraging news, the process is unending. I finally found some great victory, I felt like. At least I didn't break a racket and I didn't, you know, I felt better about how I was acting. But then another couple asked us to play tennis a week ago. And the husband is much better than I am. And so, in that moment, it wasn't anger, it was fear. I found myself going into the game thinking, I'm going to look like the biggest fool. And so, we never get over our idolatry until we're perfected with Jesus. But that's okay, because the gospel is always the gospel. Jesus isn't going anywhere. So he can begin to work in you when you go from one idol to another. Oh man, now I wish I were just I could get angry so then I wouldn't have to feel this fear of my whole reputation riding. You see it? 
But it's okay. Jesus is still Jesus. And the gospel is still the gospel. And that's what he's called you to. And that's what he's called me to. In relationship, the spouse is standing before you and he's saying, stop cheating on me. Stop. Stop cheating on me. Get serious about your sin. Get serious about your your, your unfaithfulness to me. Get serious about your adultery. Because I love you. And I want what's best for you. And what's best for you is me. So turn from her and turn to me. Dear friends, that's what God calls us to in the first commandment. And may he give us grace to do it this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the beauty of the cross. Jesus, we thank you for the beauty of your love. I pray that you would work that love deep into our hearts this morning. And I know you, Holy Spirit, that you didn't just leave most people in this room alone this morning, but you've been at work. And so, Holy Spirit, would you just lead us to the cross to believe that no matter what we see in ourselves, it's not going to drive you away and it's not going to drive us away from you. And would you... in the midst of seeing that that sin, and and God, I pray that you would give us a hunger and passion to want to get to the root of it. Uh, If we need our spouse, if we need our friends, if we need our community group, if we need a counselor, if we need somebody else, God, I pray that you would help us to go to stop at nothing, to get to the root of our sin, and help us to only stop when we've really seen it and dealt with it in Christ. Jesus, make us holy sanctify us more and more. We want to live a life that is free to Jesus and free to love those around us, that reflects your glory and doesn't dim it to those around us. So do your work. We need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond to the grace of this amazing gospel. As we bring our tithes and as we even give over and above our tithes, um, this morning in response to the gospel love of Jesus. Amen.